You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every single day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Hello, Kane. Are you uh, are you deciding that you're going to be uh, challenging your appearance on the podcast uh, this week? Well, uh, I, I did speak yesterday about the, the fact that teams are going to have to, you know, consider resting players uh, along the way and we did discuss that we might have to do the same with the podcast but you just informed me this i didn't know this looks like the cats will be challenging tom hawkins we know that west coast yesterday uh, got elliot yo cleared uh for a i i, I didn't even know i, I did not even know what it was a little push a little aggressive swing of the forearm i don't know what the hell that was i looked at the replay i hadn't seen that incident i was glad that he got off i mean come on what, what are we trying to do here yeah, the Yo one I think deserved to get off. What do you think? Do you think Hawkins will get off? Um, I don't because mostly because of the the history that he's had. We spoke about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, I did see when he got one week. I thought, oh, my plan is my plan is coming because I don't think Chris Scott's going to arrest anyone. But I thought, well, I'll give him a week off. It sort of forces the hand of Chris Scott a little bit. But I don't think so. Like, do I care about the incident? Or do I think that it's dangerous that they need to stop that type of thing from being in the game? No, I, I think that they need the tribunal, as we continue to speak about, needs to focus on the actual uh, dangerous incidents of the game, whether it's tackles, whether it's bumps, protecting the head in that regard. Do I care about a little back forearm? No, I, I don't. I, I don't care about that. I didn't think there was a whole lot in it. But I think... You know, we talk about this, and you talk about the Zach Merritt one. You go, okay, they're soft, but that there's no need for them. And while they can, you know, potentially cause damage, probably unlikely. You could say the same thing about Merritt; that it was unlikely to cause damage. There's really no need for it. And if that is what's required, you talk about, yeah, you know, even the the like the Papley stuff of you know getting in guys' faces, and if you just give a free kick, like or you suspend guys, hopefully that's the idea of getting that stuff out of the game. It's not much, but and it's not that big of a deal, but is it necessary? Like, what does it add? I don't think it adds anything, but does it really? I don't know. Like, I feel like these suspensions came in purely for the intention of uh, the outside perspective and maybe junior players coming through that, yeah. hey, don't be jumper punching someone. I just don't really care about that. Like, what is a jumper punch between the, the huge dudes that are playing the game, professional athletes? Like, does it really matter? Like, do we need to be suspending them? No, I, I don't think so. And the other thing is that the, my biggest problem with it is that when I'm watching the broadcast now is that every tiny little thing that happens is highlighted and replayed and the commentators straight away are like, oh, should you get weeks for that? Should you get weeks for that? And it's like, come on. There's literally nothing that like the players should have the ability to push and shove a little bit and, and get get into it a little bit. I mean, we all love it. We all love it. So I don't know why we can say we enjoy it when there's a fierce uh, contest and guys get into it and wrestle a little bit, but then at the same time say, well, that guy should get a week for that little jumper punch that just tickled that guy's jaw and then he held his jaw for a little bit and looked at the umpire. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that there's more important things that they should be trying to stamp out than stuff like this. And And this is right across the league. I said the same thing. With the merit one, it's I don't know. I, I just don't know why we're wasting our time uh, worrying about incidents like that. 
so you're you're advocating that we introduce jumper punches into all sports then. Dave Warner goes up to Virat Kohli, grabs him by the collar, just gives him a couple, get back in line, well, Virat, just, just bring it into every sport. Well, how many malays have you seen in cricket? Oh, let's let's that, get let's get them started. Well, they've also got a bat, so I, <laughs> yeah, I would be a little bit con- <laughs> I'd be a little bit concerned if, if they allowed that because uh, tempers could flare and they could use the bat. But I, I don't know. I mean, I watched that a Bulldogs GWS game at the start of the season, and they gave out fines, fines, fines to to everyone, everyone on the field basically, and I loved it. Like, did I think that it hurt GWS and ultimately uh, cost them the game early on when they were distracted? Sure, but I was still into the the wrestling and and the aggressive footy. We just don't see that a lot, so. I don't know. I just don't know that we need to to be stamping this stuff out with uh, suspensions. But as I said yesterday, I mean, if you're a guy like Hawkins, I mean, you're gonna get you're gonna get what the the rules currently say that you can't do that, and he keeps on doing it. So you're going to get suspended. And do I feel bad for him that he got a week? No, not at all. Because I think the rules should change, and I don't think they should care about that stuff. But as it currently stands, you're just going to keep getting weeks. You talked about the GWS Bulldogs game. In that game, there was only one like report that came out of it, and that was a the Norton bump on Whitfield, which wasn't anything to do with you know, what was actually happening in the game. But there are th- that wrestling, I think, is fine. But there was an incident earlier in that game where I can't remember who it was who took a mark for GWS, and two Giants players came up and just punched Bontempelli in the back of the head, just flat punched him in the back of the head. And yeah, that, I think that's the sort of stuff that... like. You, you got to jostle a guy if they take a mark, but you can't come and swing punches into the back of their head. I think that sort of stuff is what they should be looking at doing. The Hawkins one is irresponsible considering his mm. history, and you know, as Tom Hawkins, that you're anything that you do like that, you are going to get um, cited or you're going to get scrutinized because you've done it so many times, and the benefit of the doubt does not go towards him. Um, and he's just got to be smarter there. So, in essence, it's not like so many of them, it's not dangerous, it's just dumb. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I 100% agree with that for sure. And it's cost the Cats in a big, big game as recently as as the end of last season. So, yeah, it, it's stupid and he's silly and he's got to get control of that. But it comes back to a mailbag question we had a couple of weeks ago regarding the Brownlow. So let's go to Elliot Yo, and, and uh, hopefully most of the listeners saw that incident. But Elliot Yo, uh, is he going to win the Brownlow? I mean, probably not, but he's certainly that caliber player that could poll well and be in the mix. And are we sitting here and saying that that incident that was caught, I don't know how they even saw that that happened. Like, I have no idea how they caught that that happened. It was so innocuous. We're going to say that that guy can't win a Brownlow medal because of that? Now, he got off, thank goodness. But that's the type of thing when we talk about should suspensions count towards a Brownlow. I mean, come on, give me a break. Like, back in the day, if you were getting suspended, you were knocking someone out. I mean, how often do we see a Barry Hall incident now? Yeah, th- we thankfully don't. we don't. Yeah, and that's and that's yeah, good. Of course, that's what we don't want in the game. And that, yeah, I agree. That yo one was was pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, to even find that find that footage and, and suspend him. And I think that the right result has been achieved there. I would agree with that. And uh, he'll come in and be good to go for that game against the Cats. And we'll see. I mean, my my, <laughs> if I had to anticipate what's going to happen, I I highly doubt that Hawkins is cleared to play. And from my selfish biased point of view. I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, but it's, a, it's the built-in rest. It's the built-in rest. He's forced the hand because I, I don't trust Chris Scott to do the <laughs> to do the right to do the right thing this week. I don't trust him. Uh, what should we get to the mailbag? Have we got any other news? What have we got going on? Well, we've got a game tonight, so maybe we should just quickly touch on the uh, selection news from that game. Uh, we've got uh, Bulldogs uh, Bulldogs Richmond coming up tonight. Um, we had to have a Wednesday night game. I'm still not getting my <laughs> my head around that, but Toby McLean and uh, Sam Lloyd do return for the Bulldogs. 
So, uh, so that's a strengthening of that squad. Um, well, how do you see? How do you see this game? I uh, no idea. Uh, can I say that? Uh, yeah, it, it's <laughs> tough. It's it's really tough. I mean, if I if I had to tip, and, and everyone knows I, I don't do tips, but right now, based on on form, I, I probably would take the Bulldogs. I like the way the last two weeks they've played. Although I, I think we've seen throughout the season that week to week form is not anything to go by. Interesting. With the selection for the Tigers, Daniel Rioli has been dropped again. This is the second time this season he's been dropped. He just hasn't been able to recapture the form we've seen in the past. Jack Graham, another guy dropped. Uh, Vlosten is the one that's really going to hurt Richmond because when you talk about the run from the back line in, in this team, when I look at the back six now, uh, Nathan Broad, not bad, but he doesn't have the, the skills, the intercept marking that Vlosten does. So who's going to be the guy that's going to provide the run uh, of half half back for them? Is it going to be my guy, Derek Smith? Is he going to stand up? And and uh, and create that attack from the back line. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I just think with the other guys they have out, despite the fact they bring in Trent Cotchin, they still just look a little uh, light-handed to me. And the doggies with the rare triple milestone: 50, 100, 150, 50 games for Bailey Williams, 100 for Caleb Daniel, and 150 for Jack McRae. Before I talk about a, a key player in this game and ask a question to you, what do you think is going to happen? Um. Yeah, I'm always cautiously optimistic, but also expecting the worst when it's uh, when it's my team involved. But yeah, given the the strengthening of and Trent Cotchin coming back is big for Richmond. I think the Bulldogs team just looks a little bit stronger at the moment. They've won four out of five, is it five out of six at the moment? So you know, traveling along pretty nicely. Richmond needs to get themselves back on back on track after last week's uh, performance. I think the Bulldogs should get it. The Bulldogs beat Richmond last season when the teams were uh, probably not as even as what they are at the moment. Not that that necessarily means too much, considering that the squads are, are pretty different. But that actually probably hurts Richmond more, considering that a lot of their players uh, are not there from from where they were last season. So I, I do think that uh, the Bulldogs probably look to be a marginal favourite at this point. All right, so we've seen this trending around the league a little bit. Uh, the one that certainly stands out to me is Sam Doherty with Carlton. We saw Jaron Geary go to him in a run with role. Uh, we've seen it happen multiple times to him because he's become so effective. From the back line, the guy that we have to speak about is Caleb Daniel. As I said, playing his 100th game for the season, but uh, here he ranks elite in a number of categories. As this guy that uh, I mean, not a, not a tall fella, that's for damn sure. But when he gets the ball in his hands, he's able to take risks that other players will not even attempt because they're too scared to turn over the ball in the back half. Understandably so. Watching Caleb Daniel this year has been just an absolute delight. He ranks elite for rating points, 380 per game. Disposals, 19.5. Handballs, 8.4. And effective disposals, 16.4. So 131 of his 156 disposals this year have been effective. He, uh, grand ball gets at 5.6 per game. Also comes in uh, as elite. This guy has been deadly. He's involved in 4.3 score involvements per game, 34 total on the season, playing as a backman. I just wonder at what point, and he's kind of an interesting guy to consider this option with because he's not your typical intercept marker, uh, you know, really damaging player in that regard, which has become a key focal point across the league that all the good teams have. But they just get the ball to him because they know that when he has the ball in his hands, he's going to launch those attacks. And to have a guy that spends the majority of the game in the back 50 and still have that number of score involvements when we know scoring from the transitioning from the back 50 to the 450 is so critical in, in these games where teams are scoring less 
He's such a valuable player. I wonder if Richmond sends someone to him, and I don't know who that would be. If I look at the, the front six as it's named, and obviously this can change, Jake Arts has just come into the team. Uh, maybe he's a guy that you just say, listen, lock down on him. If you kick a couple of goals, good for you. Uh, I, I don't know. Kane Lambert is down there. It, they have a number of options. I mean, we know how many small forwards they have. But is there going to come a time where teams just say, listen, we can't just have Caleb Daniel running around getting disposals in the back 50 because the doggies are doing damage? I would say that he is absolutely in All-Australian contention at the moment. There's also an, an elite Twitter account going around called Caleb Daniel Kick, and it's just uh, gifs of his, let's be honest, audacious kick attempts because mm. they're pretty they're pretty crazy. And that was part of the stuff that came out of my discussion with Easton Wood last week is that he, he, he can do whatever he wants because like, he's got the ability to pull it off where other blokes wouldn't even dare to. And he just, they get the ball in his hands because they know that he will hit those targets. Now, I you talked about you know, the difference in him versus those traditional halfback type guys. He's not that guy that is taking intercept marks or is necessarily even taking your big runs through the middle. He is, it might, it might be hard to actually shut him down in that respect. So I think people get on him and they go, oh, look, we've, we've got to drag him forward. We've got to go, we've got to be real attacking because we've got the mismatch and it doesn't work that way. And then he kills you the other direction. So it's got to be someone pretty disciplined to not get overwhelmed by like, oh, look, yeah, I've got him one-on-one. Yeah, get it into me. Because then he'll just peel straight off. If you've got too much of an attacking mindset there, then you could be in uh, in real trouble going the other way. So I'm not really, and I'd, I'd be surprised if teams haven't at least tried something with that. I haven't seen it work to really any degree. But given how good he has been in that role, I think you got to try it. I'm just not sure how successful it's going to be. Well, we don't see too much uh, man-on-man uh, defense. So I, I guess the problem is that these teams structure up and go to their zone and guard space rather than a player. And then he just picks you apart within that zone and says, okay, well, that guy's got five meters space. All right, I'll hit him up. That's fine. I feel good about that. So I think that that's the challenge. You would have to have someone that was, as soon as, the ball hit the ground, or as soon as uh, the ball was in the hands of the dogs, he just said, okay, I'm not going to let Caleb Daniel get around for this handball, or I'm not going to let him get the 10-meter sideways short kick, because once he gets it, uh, the dogs are going to be away. So you're right, yeah, it would take someone pretty disciplined to do so. But but ultimately, I think this is a game where both teams we know like to use the handball. Richmond a little bit more direct by nature, but uh, they will use those chain handballs, particularly in congested situations, and clear, clear the ball out. Both teams level actually on tackles 386 tackles in a year uh, typically and the tigers have fluctuated a little bit but i thought we saw it come back over the last fortnight uh, funnily enough with players out I, I think this is going to be a high pressure game and whoever uh, can can link up and use that handball that we, we've seen both these teams have success with i think ultimately is going to be the winner funnily enough last week i pointed to jack and jack and uh tom lynch to have a big game against jws that did not happen they continue to struggle it's you know at some point they're going to break out of this slump i don't know when it's going to be maybe tonight's the night last thing on this game last time these two teams met caleb daniel had 36 touches so we'll see how see how they go around trying <laughs> to slow him down here in this one all right let's uh let's have a look at some questions because it is of course mailbag wednesday the first question here comes from jason elson who says you know covid permitting and assuming the mcg is not an option isn't the easiest and a no-brainer solution for the grand final is to allow the highest seed remaining to host it now, I think yeah, logically that would make sense, but it also means that planning-wise, and the grand final is obviously a big event, and they rely so much on you know, corporate and you know, selling grand final packages and all that sort of stuff, is that you have to wait until seven days before to figure out where the game's going to be played, that then that makes it probably a little bit harder to pull off. But 
you know, in, in terms of a competitive nature or a just purely you know, on-field playing thing, it, it does make sense. Yeah, I mean that's not beat around the bush. Uh, this is all about money. That's yeah, why exactly. that, that's that's why this is not going to happen because the AFL is going to simply say uh, Queensland or WA, who wants to pay us more money, and that's where the game is going to be played. I mean, it, and there's certainly been some talk that they could give a goodwill grand final, if you will, to Queensland, but there's no chance of that. If if WA comes to the party and says, "Hey, we're going to give you an extra ten million dollars," uh, they're going to have the grand final in WA. That's exactly what's going to happen. So, do I think? for the, the fairness of the competition. Should they play the grand final where the, the home team, whatever home team it is, uh, would play? Well, yeah, but I mean, listen, if we were talking about a fair comp, they would do that every single season. So uh, we know that that's not going to be the case. Uh, I, you know, I mean, if, I, if I'm looking at just purely grounds and spectacle, then I, I don't think it's close once you take out the MCG that they should play it at Optus. Brand new arena. Looks fantastic on TV when it's full. Even the last few weeks, I will say, with you know twenty thousand or twenty five, whatever they've had uh, in there, it's looked pretty damn good, and it's it's added so much um, to the broadcast as well. When you got fans in there, um, and it's a great deck. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk over the years of how hard it is, and there's been some injuries, but uh, it, it looks great. It's a great spectacle on TV. Uh, not sure about the flashing lights, but hey, listen, I think all the new arenas are doing that that type of thing. So. You know, I do think I do just think that it's going to end up in WA. I don't know why. I think they'll end up ponying up the cash, uh, even though at times they've made it a little bit difficult for AFL to be played over there. Uh, then again, listen, when we look at this, the state that we're in here in Victoria and what's going on here, I can't blame them for being a little bit careful about keeping people out. The other thing is we haven't really heard it mentioned because there's been more you know, border restrictions on is South Australia and Adelaide Oval because that's mm. obviously a, a premier uh, venue as well, but... Adelaide hasn't hasn't allowed hubbing to occur there at this point, um, but that would be I reckon that would almost be a preferable option if you're just talking about the ground and the spectacle. I love I love Adelaide Oval. I love uh, you know going there. I love watching it on TV. I love the ground, um, but it just doesn't appear to be even an option at this point. With uh, seem, seemingly the battle coming between Western Australia and Queensland. Next question coming from Jordan. Let me, let me just Go jump ahead. in. Have you have you been to a, a grand final before? Uh, yes, I have. 2016. Oh, that's a nice one to go to. It was for a good one. Yeah, I've been once as well. Uh, I went in 2011, Geelong Collingwood, uh, that grand final. But I, I tell you what, like you bring up the Adelaide Oval. If you're telling me I can watch an AFL grand final and drink beers standing on a hill, I mean, it, it, it just sounds like the most amazing day of all time. If it's sunny, it's going to be October. The weather's probably going to be warm. Standing on a grass hill, are you kidding me? That would be an unbelievable atmosphere. So I agree. That's a good point. Adelaide Oval. Jordan Lloyd, who is my brother, asked me a question. Is Leon Cameron the biggest factor holding GWS back from a flag? I I really don't know how to answer this question because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I, I will say, I mean, we've spoke about the, the style that GWS have been playing so much over, over the last few weeks. And at some point, it has to change. And you have to ask yourself, well, okay, well, are they playing this way because they're instructed to play this way? Are they not moving the ball? Uh, are they not? Are their midfielders not being attacking enough? Uh, are they not getting back into the back fifty and helping out their defense and then running in that wave that we've seen them be so damaging? I mean, when they when they loosen up and they play attacking, free flowing footy, I, I think that they're. I mean, they're arguably the best team in the comp. We just haven't seen it all year. I've said it, you know, a lot. But if they continue to have, I mean, at this point they're averaging thirty three inside fifties a game. 
they're about minus 15, minus 16 from all the elite teams in the competition. You're just not going to win games. And we spoke about it yesterday. The only reason they've won is because of the pure brilliance of Toby Green inside 50 on a number of occasions. So, yeah, I mean, at some point, Leon Cameron, if it is him, he has to he has to loosen the shackles here and let this team free because they're not going to win games and they're not going to make the finals. And you talk about disasters from this season. If GWS do not make the finals, that, that would be... One of the biggest shocks I, I can I can remember in in quite a while. I I agree that would be a shock. Um, we know this team is super talented and has been for four or five years. Some of it is I think on Cameron because some of the the tactics that he uses aren't ideal. Even like the the hyper aggressive stuff and then he's oh I didn't know it was going to happen. Well, that's on you either way. You either did know it was going to happen and you're lying, or you didn't know it was going to happen and you don't know what your team's up to. So there there are problems there. But it's also, I think, the mix of players. We talk in the GWS has a reputation uh, you know, of this, this sort of dirty on the edge type play, but these are also, all of these guys are like top 10, top five, top three picks who always dominated the ball, played in the midfield, got the ball and got to do what they wanted at junior levels. And they all got to come together and then, so they, you know, that guy who played and got 30 touches a game in under 18s then has to play in a forward pocket and get six touches and maybe have one shot at goal. And into that, that goes more back to team building. It goes to team selection as well. But it's like putting a whole bunch of elite midfielders in one team and then trying to squeeze them there just based on how good they are as actual talents versus how they fit together. So I think there is some blame there for Cameron. Now, is he the overall reason? I don't know, but it's, it's it's pretty hard to find out what the other number one factor would be as to why they haven't gotten over the hump. But let's, look, they got to the grand final like you, you, last year. That, it doesn't get much better than that. It gets one spot better. That's it. So that's pretty strong. But if things continue to go backwards, then I think the, the heat will have to get turned up at some point. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sometimes wonder, and yeah, this is this is breaking it right down to the most simple form, but when I when I look at GWS play and... Yeah, you see the outs that they have every week and then the players that they bring in. I mean, player for player, I don't think there's a team in the league with more talent. So uh, I think, you know, they, you could just got to let them free a little bit. I, I don't know. And this is, like I said, this is nothing scientific there in what I'm saying. We normally try to look into it a little bit deeper than that, but I just see them playing so tight and so structured and, and just wonder. I mean, let these guys free. That's, that's what's made them such a great team in the past. And uh, at the moment, they're, they're way off it. They're, they're way off it. It's incredible to see how how poor they've been, even in games that they win. You're just like, how did they actually win that game the way that they're playing? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Next question, Draftman loves a, loves a question. Draftman, um, he says, what are your thoughts on the current state of the deliberate rush behind calls? Personally, when I watch, I find myself annoyed at blatantly obvious rush behinds that aren't paid when the players have time. Also, if they're on the boundary, they would be paid as deliberate. So we know that this rule was brought in ostensibly after that. Joel Bowden and then Hawthorne Grand Final, uh, where they just kept running the ball through the behind so they could get kickouts and a better setup for for attack. People still get this rule wrong quite a bit in looking at it when it has to be a completely unpressured scenario to take it through. To be honest, I haven't really noticed many egregious examples of players taking the ball through without being under pressure. Um because again, and I talk about this when we talk about the holding the ball stuff all the time, you don't want the game to be continually just decided based on a lucky bounce or continual mistakes. 
So like, you know, yeah, just get the ball out and then you just hit it to a guy and it bounces to someone who's got no part in the play and they're 20 meters on their own. Or you force the ball back in uh, when you are under pressure and you just get a goal from two meters out to the to the opponent. I don't think you want games continually decided by mistakes. I'd like more positivity rather than capitalizing on negativity. Uh, so it hasn't been something that's really hit me as something that, oh, geez, I really need to fix this. No, I think this is one of the rules that they've actually got right. Now, I think <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with rush behinds at all. So, yeah, I mean, if someone is completely on their own, uh, like we saw in that in that 08 grand final where um, players were just deliberately just running it through, then yeah, sure. That's ugly. Yeah. It's you don't want to see that. So I think the fact that they basically stamped that out, while at the same time not making this some ridiculous joke where players on the last line of defense are just bombing the ball out to to get the ball clear, I think they've got it right. We never really see this free kick paid anyway, and when we do, most of the time you look at it and say, well, technically, by a letter of the law, that was wrong. So I, I think in that regard, they've got it right, and I I like the fact that the deliberate out of I like where the deliberate out of bounds rule is right now because. I, I think that if you are a player, and this has been a tactic that, that anyone that's played footy and anyone that's watched footy over the last 30 years has seen, if there's no one in front of you, uh, just dribble the ball on that, that little angle kick, that little dribbler, you're going to gain 40 metres and you're going to get the ball out of bounds and create a stoppage. If you're talking about ways the game can remove stoppages, then the deliberate out of bounds rule has been great for that because if someone does that, then... Is your intention to get the ball out of bounds? Yes. Then we're going to ping you for it, regardless of how much meters you gain. I really like that. Unfortunately, and again, there's been so many wet weather games this year that sometimes the deliberate out of bounds rule has just been brutally harsh because uh, players might legitimately just like shank a kick. It might just slip off their boot and go out of bounds and they're paid for deliberate. But uh, yeah, all, all things considered, I, I also don't hate that. I don't hate that. Uh, you know, keep, keep the ball moving, get the ball back in someone's hands and, and stop. Uh, the amount of stoppages and, and congestion we can around the ball. I think that that's been one of the rules that they've got right, even though there's no doubt if you're watching the game and your team has a deliberate out of bounds against you, you get pissed off at the time because you say, well, it wasn't deliberate. You didn't mean it. It's a ridiculous call. But uh, I think all things considered, they've got that one right. I think in general they have as well because a couple of thoughts I just had while you were talking about that because what it does, right, is – They'll get some wrong, and the, the shank off the, the boot, we'll talk about. I'll talk about that in a second. But what it does is it means that you if you just boot it away, you can't boot it towards the boundary line because they'll get the ball. But it also means that, and it hasn't really happened that much, but I think it should, is that if you are booting it back into the corridor or onto the wing away from the line, you've got to make sure you've got a player there. So you can't push 18 blokes back into the Ford 50 because then when you get the ball out, you're either kicking to the boundary for a turnover to set back up for another entry or you're kicking it to three guys on their own, all there ready 90 meters out for another re-entry. So it forces you, the only option you have is you've got to find someone to kick it to. So there has to be people out there to be an option for you. Otherwise, it's an uncontested kick that comes straight back into a dangerous area. So I think it works on in both ways there. Now, this is probably one of the dumbest ideas I've ever had just thinking about this. And you talk about yeah, the shanks and the wet weather, and it's hard for the umpires to legislate on intent and that sort of thing. How We know the umpires are, are mic'd up, and we know they've got a goal review system, right? Now, just don't jump down my throat just yet. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about a guy watching on the TV, not challenging, not reviewing, but if, he's, if the umpire... You know, the ball goes out and the umpire goes, hey, mate, what do you think? And the guy watching it saw it was a shank, goes, now nah, it's a shank, and then can tell him that's out of bounds that way. No review, just the guy watching it on TV with a better view of it 
can see what see whether it was a shank or not, or just give give it into the umpire's ear. It's a shank, no deliberate. Just as it's happening, and that's that's what he's paying attention to because the umpire can't always see that or can't legislate that intent. Rather than oh, can we go and check what happened with the kick? We, no, no one wants that. But just someone giving a bit of that. Hey, this is what actually happened. You can't see it, and giving that advice there. I think the problem with the score review that we've seen is that, it, like, obviously the delay is, is a big problem. There's no doubt about that. And so the fact that you're saying there would be no delay is, is noteworthy. But I think w- with everything put together, you need to let the umpires trust themselves because that's been the biggest problem with the score review for mine. Like, I'm fine. Like, if, if you want to bring it in for one that, that you're generally not sure about, these umpires just aren't making decisions anymore. Like they're not doing it. Like it's it's shocking when I see a goal umpire just back themselves on a on a close call and and let the game roll. We just don't see it anymore, and it's frustrating. So I think if you did that, then I just think let the umpires like they, who cares? They're going to make a couple of mistakes. It is what it is. Like this is it's human error. We I don't. That's just, true. But this I, I just, is this is one where uh, the the. People wouldn't even have to know that this is happening necessarily. They wouldn't even have to know because there's no like the guy's not watching a replay. He's just doing it live. The umpire gets that feedback before he actually makes the call. Like he's running towards the boundary. Hey, Shank, and then and he just gets that quick call. And if the guy doesn't know, he just says not sure. And then the umpire makes his call. So it doesn't necessarily. They're not waiting for the guy to necessarily give that. It's probably not going to work, and there's probably huge holes in it. But if we're watching it, and you can see on TV, and you go, oh, I shanked it, and you can see it straight away, and the umpire can't because he's behind the player. And he just sees the ball go on this 45 degree angle out of bounds where no one was. He's going to go, well, that's deliberate. Whereas someone watching, he goes, no, well, we can see. We can see that. It's not watching on replay. It just has, as it happens, is it, is it clear that that's happening? Because that's what we want, ones where it's clear. It's so to stop people going, oh, look, it's, it's off your side of his boot. What the hell is he supposed to do? When those ones are clear and the umpire can't see, you give him that just little bit of feedback. Well, uh, listen, I mean, it's, it's been never going to happen. It's been tough times for everyone during the pandemic. I, I could definitely use a little bit more work. If you want to give me. I don't know, hundred bucks, hundred bucks for the weekend. I'll do a couple of games, and then yeah, I'm happy to sit on the mic and just provide that feedback. So, uh, yeah, maybe that could work. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think just the umpires are under fire. Just, just give them a bit of confidence making their own decisions. I reckon. Fair enough, Kane. I'm going to give you the confidence to uh, sign off on another episode of Locked On AFL. Thank you again. No, it's been good. Uh, Every single day now for the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about a game that evening, at least one game that evening and a game the night before. It's, uh, It's about to get ridiculous. It is. Can't wait. Footy tonight. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And I'll leave you today with a shout-out to Brad Wirra. 